This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. Happy Easter to you and happy Passover if you've been celebrating. Even if it's a very small celebration with your significant other, you're likely enjoying a special meal either today on Easter or this past Wednesday for the Jewish Seder. Our friends at the city's food banks want you to consider sharing some food with Toronto's vulnerable, especially this year during the COVID-19 pandemic. Neil Hetherington is CEO of the Daily Bread Food Bank. He joined me when I filled in for Libby Snymer this past Wednesday and explained how the pandemic has increased the need for food bank use. Since the pandemic um, really uh, started to uh, uh, be felt more here in, in the city, over the last three or four weeks, we have seen an increase at our new Toronto uh, food bank location uh, by 53%. So um, tremendous number of, of individuals that we've never uh, seen before who are having to make that, uh, that very difficult decision to, uh, uh, to address their food security needs and, and come to the food bank. So that is um, the most startling uh, change that we've had. And then, of course, this weekend, normally on Saturday, this, this location would be absolutely packed with, uh, with volunteers of all ages coming out to, uh, uh, to, to lend a hand in, in our spring drive, in our spring public food sort. And that, of course, is not going to, uh, to, to happen uh, this, uh, this coming weekend. So we have an increased need. We have a, a challenge when it comes to the number of volunteers that we are, uh, are permitting to, uh, to be working alongside us at this time. And then we've had challenges uh, uh, emerge in many different areas. Um, and, and one by one, uh, the, uh, the volunteers and the staff at the organization have been able to, to rise to those, those challenges. I'll just give you a couple of quick examples. Um, if we had, when, when things, about three weeks ago, we had about 30% of the food banks had to close down. Those were food banks that were in uh, community centers or in, um, uh, uh, run by volunteers, and they didn't feel comfortable uh, operating. And subsequently, the Toronto Public Library uh, system said, you know, how can we make use of those locations? And many of the, the library staff uh, who volunteer their time, and we've, uh, we've been able to uh, have 10 pop-up food bank locations uh, emerge and enter into the system over the last uh, two weeks. So that has helped uh, the scenario dramatically. Yeah, that so is wonderful. We've talked about that on Zoomer Radio News as well, how these 10 buildings are now being used. Are they in the same way that your location there on New Toronto Street is operating? Yeah, they, we're all, all of the ways that food banks are operating now is different than we normally would do. Normally, uh, you know, individuals come in and they choose the food that they need for their family. Uh, but now we have moved to a hamper system. 
So um, at the new Toronto Street location, we have a field hospital tent that has been installed. Uh, it is installed by Global Medic, and we have a conveyor belt system that allows us to get the food out for a particular family from the warehouse to them while making sure there is a, a pretty significant separation uh, distance-wise between the clients and uh and those that are uh, either on staff or, or volunteering. So do they, when they come, the clients, do they ask, do they present you with a list of items that they would like to receive? No, not j- during this time. During this time, uh, we have, uh, uh, together with our partners at Feed Ontario, uh, determined what is a um, uh, the most appropriate uh, nutritional, uh, nutritionally high content uh, hamper that we can provide. And so we've made those choices, and there, there might be choices in there, um, you know, that uh, that, that uh, individual is not uh, particularly fond of. Maybe they don't like uh, um, uh, the, the type of beans that are in there. And, and unfortunately, we have had to limit the amount of choice right. um, to during this time. And so when, when things return to normal, we, that obviously will change. Neil Hetherington, CEO of the Daily Bread Food Bank. If you'd like to help, go to dailybread.ca. Or if you are in need of a food delivery, especially as an isolated older senior, you can call 211. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Grocery store workers really are the unsung heroes of the COVID-19 pandemic. They keep shelves stocked, food available, and check out our groceries before we leave the store. But how safe are they during the coronavirus crisis? And are they being fully protected by their employers? Tim Dielstra is with the United Food and Commercial Workers Union and represents grocery store workers nationwide. He joined me on Wednesday. So UFCW in Ontario has over 100,000 members who work in every workplace sector of the economy. The biggest single sector we represent, of course, is grocery retail, where we have over 60,000 people in the province who are members of our union. We also represent people in industrial food factories, in healthcare, in hospitality. So we have a significant amount of people who are going to be continuing to operate throughout this pandemic. What are you hearing from your members? Do they feel protected? Do they feel safe? Well, we're certainly getting a lot of concerns from all of our members who are continuing to work. Our uh, grocery retail members, naturally, when they go into a workplace where the general public are continuing to come in and shop, uh, are concerned and come to work feeling, uh, I think, stressed. And we are trying to work as hard as we can with our employer groups to make sure that they can come to work and feel as protected and safe as possible. And so we've really focused on trying to find measures that will help them do that, whether it's personal protective equipment, whether it's making sure that social distancing measures are maintained within the store, uh, you know, whether it's trying to work with the employers to give them a little payback at this time so that they feel appreciated and that they can do what they need to do. Would it be fair to say that most in in your union that you represent have received at least a small pay bump to acknowledge uh, the challenging circumstances they're working in? The vast majority of members we have, we have been able to work with the employers to find them a, a pay increase. Certainly this is the case for all the major grocery retailers and the pharmacy chains like Rexall that we represent. We've also been able to work with our industrial partners to do that. 
And now we're focused on trying to find our members in healthcare uh, as much help as we can, including a pay bump. So that's people in retirement homes, long-term care homes, and people who do home care. Oh, I see. Uh, as far as the grocery stores go, and uh, we're all trying to abide by the order and only go once a week and get what we need for a minimum of a week and two weeks, ultimately, uh, is what's recommended. What kinds of changes, and we're all seeing them, but just, just so we have a feeling of what's been done from the beginning of all this uh, to the present time, what's been done to protect, I guess, the workers and the shoppers? Sure. Well, as this has developed, and we've all gotten used to terms like social distancing, which, uh, you know, a few months ago, when you, none of us were saying or using, uh, these measures have started to roll out into the stores. And so you see things like plexiglass barriers being put up at counters to separate the uh, front-end staff from the customers, things like markers on the floor to uh, keep people separated, to give them an idea of how far apart they should be. We've made sure that our members have any personal protective equipment that makes sense uh, for them to have. And so you will see in a grocery store, for instance, often the cash registers are staggered. So there's one open and then one that's closed then the next one that's open. And uh, only one of them typically is open for cash. And that uh, cashier is given gloves. They're sanitizing their hands on a regular basis. There are measures put in place for enhanced sanitation all throughout the store which is happening regularly, and uh, carts and buggies are being cleaned. Yes. So there's been, been quite a movement uh, in the uh, retail space to make sure that not only are our members and workers as safe as they can be, but customers coming in can also have some sense of assurance that they're as safe as possible. We're also trying to apply those same principles into the industrial settings to make sure that social distancing is maintained while people are at work, that they are also given equipment, All of these things are very important to us as a union, and we focus very hard on making sure that our members who are working uh, can be as safe as they can be. What can we do as shoppers? What can we do to help out those workers who are on the front lines in the grocery stores? Following all those protocols that we talked about is absolutely important. So if you can, try to only go with one person. You know, try to maintain that social distancing when you're in the shop, not just for the workers, but for the fellow customers as well. You know, I understand it's stressful, and, and if there are a limited supply of things, that that can be frustrating for people. But if folks could be as kind and as polite and as patient as possible, it will be a better experience for them. It'll be a much better experience for our members, and uh, we would strongly wish uh, for people to do that so that we can all continue to get through this crisis and work together to be as healthy and safe as we all can be. Tim Dealstra with the United Food and Commercial Workers Union in conversation with me on Wednesday. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. If you've seen your retirement income become depleted during the recent market crash, you may not want to dip into your mutual funds as planned to help you with your finances. Most financial advisors will tell you to leave your portfolio alone and wait until it bounces back. But what about using the equity in your own home to help meet your financial needs as you age? Steve Ranson is the CEO of Home Equity Bank. He joined me on Wednesday to talk about the chip reverse mortgage and how home equity is handling the pandemic. You know, although we're a bank, you know, so technically an essential service, we still actually send everybody home as soon as, um, uh, you know, the announcements were made by the various provincial governments. So March the 16th, 
uh, you know, here in Ontario where I am. Uh, so everybody's been working from home uh, right from the beginning. Um, and what we've been doing uh, to help our clients a little bit is we've been trying to call, um, you know, as many clients as we can. We've got 20 different people in the company who are calling, uh, calling clients and just checking in on them, seeing how they're doing, uh, making sure that uh, they've got somebody's looking after them, somebody to buy them groceries, you know, kind of whatever it takes. Um, it's been uh, it's been really actually kind of interesting. I called a couple of clients last week. Um, some people are over a hundred years old, and um, and it was great. You know, they had they either got family members living with them or their next door neighbors checking in on them. Uh, you know, so it's great for us to make you know know that our clients are doing well. But it's also nice to hear that people are looking out for each other. And, and, you know, it's a pretty stressful time for a lot of people. You're calling it Operation Warm Hug, which we could all use these days, right? Yeah. yeah. But what, what people have to get over the idea that, you know, somebody's calling them and we don't actually want anything. Uh, but once they realize, you know, we're just checking in on them and um, you know, want to see how they're doing, uh, people really appreciate it. How are your clients doing? How, you mentioned somebody who's over 100. How is the program working for them, the reverse mortgage? Um. Yeah, we haven't, honestly, we don't focus too much on that with them. It's really, you know, how are they doing personally? Sure. Um, the people I talk to have all done pretty well. We've had a couple of people, you know, who said they could use some help, and we've tried to, uh, you know, direct them to different social agencies to, to help them out. Um, but most, most of our clients actually, uh, you know, are doing pretty well. Steve, are you seeing an increase in demand for reverse mortgages? Um, it's pretty consistent. Um, you know, we're actually, uh, the first couple of months of the year were, were quite strong, and that continued through March, um, and it's continued again in April. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, it's been kind of the same general trajectory that we've had. I think, you know, as you mentioned, people are a bit uh, shell-shocked almost by, you know, what's gone on in the, in the stock market, and now, uh, you know, the, the other types of things they might buy, like GICs, et cetera, you know, those interest rates are falling, so it, it is pretty tough for seniors to make money. And, and um, you know, the challenges that they were facing before in, in, you know, managing retirement are probably exacerbated, as you said, by what's going on now. What are the, the positives of getting involved in a chip reverse mortgage, especially in light of, of what may have happened to your mutual fund portfolio? Yeah, so... Um, I mean, who knows what's going to happen to house values? Because uh, really, I think the real estate market—it's not like it's you know going up or down. I think it's kind of frozen. Um, but it is a, a chance to access some of the equity that you've built up in your home, and you don't need to to do it all at once, right? So you can take a relatively small amount uh, to start with. You can set up a payment plan where you're getting monthly payments, uh, you know, of, of smaller amounts. So basically just enough money uh, to kind of help you through the day-to-day. Um, or if you've got a significant uh, financial issue, um, you can do that as well. So there's a lot of flexibility for people. Um, and, the, and, you know, the fundamentals, the things that people liked about the program, you know, you stay in your home as long as you want. You never have to make a payment. Um, the loan doesn't come due until you move. You know, those things were, uh, you know, benefits before this whole mess got started, and then those benefits are still there for people. So, so the Home Equity Bank Chip Reverse Mortgage is available for Canadian homeowners 55 plus, yes? Right. Yes. And, and what are the other criteria? Uh, there's not much to it, really. Um, it's just, uh, you know, how much we lend you is a function of 
you know, your house, what type of house you have, so single family or condo, uh, where you live, and, and what your home is worth and how old you are. Um, there's very limited income testing. We, you know, we need to know you can pay your property taxes, but that's a much less onerous obligation than, uh, you know, somebody making a mortgage payment. So in these times, you know, if people are seeing their income fall, uh, it's actually a, probably a, a better product to qualify for than some of the other lending products you might see out there. Steve Ranson, CEO of Home Equity Bank. For more information on the CHIP reverse mortgage, go online to chipradio.ca or call 1-866-785-2447. That's 1-866-785-CHIP. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Bernie Sanders officially ended his campaign for the U.S. Democratic presidential nomination on Wednesday, clearing the path for a showdown between former Vice President Joe Biden and President Donald Trump. How will this contest play out during a pandemic and what will it mean for Canada-U.S. relations? I was joined on Thursday by Jonathan Berkshire Miller, Senior Fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute, and Ronald Shuren, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Connecticut. There's no real parallel. We've had elections in wartime, 1944, and of course during our Civil War, but it was nothing like this. The mechanics of the election are, are, are one issue. How do, you, how do you communicate with voters if you're a candidate? And then how do you have the election itself? There's much talk about going to heavily mail balloting. Uh, and and uh, there's even some talk of uh, postponing the election, which would violate law. But there is talk of that and, and uh, much effort uh, to squelch that talk. So, yes, we're in a very difficult and challenging time, and, and uh, the coming weeks and months will determine um, how, we, how we deal with this problem. Jonathan, how big of a role, uh, since the global pandemic is affecting us everywhere, how is that going to play into the U.S. presidential election? It will have a, quite a significant role for a couple factors. I mean, uh, kind of building on the last comments, too, about how an election might proceed. I think one of the important things to look at in the campaign will be the power of social media, too. And I think uh, if the pandemic continues to kind of encumber uh, campaign events, much of that will uh, continue to be done uh, in a virtual space and on social media. And this is one thing that potentially might benefit the Trump campaign because of its uh, its use of social media. Uh, we know uh, the president is very fond of using Twitter and other social media vehicles so this is one kind of factor uh, to look at, is that uh, the, the power of social media there. The second element, I think, is that the economic consequences of this pandemic. So this is something that even if we see a let up uh, in the infections and, and hopefully in the deaths in the coming months, uh, we're going to see the economic kind of collateral damage that's going to be happening definitely through the end of 2020 and likely into 2021. Uh, so this is going to be a big factor regardless in the election. Uh, you mentioned, Jonathan, about Donald Trump and his uh, his communication via Twitter. But, Ronald, uh, there has been a lot of criticism of Donald Trump's handling of the pandemic in his country. Is this ultimately or could it ultimately be the major factor in him not being reelected? People who are critical of Trump's handling in this in this crisis tend to be those who are critical of Trump all along. Um, 
certainly it, 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 it highlights the, the basic criticisms of the president, his, his grandstanding, his, his uh, ego obsession, um, and uh, to some extent his, his ineffectiveness in, in uh, dealing with how government does its nuts and bolts jobs. Um, that could be a good talking point for Democrats, and some of the polls have shown that um, Trump may be suffering a bit in that regard. Biden is ahead of Trump in the latest polls overall. Yet, it must be said that in recent weeks, Trump's handling of the crisis uh, getting, getting kind of favorable results, much to the surprise of many. Uh, that that is maybe the rallying around position that happens when there is a crisis. It happened with uh, with other presidents and other crises, and maybe it'll dissipate over time. So we'll have to see where that works. Um, Trump is very adept at social media, as as was said, very adept. Uh, but he's also a good rally speaker, and he'll be deprived that uh, that element. Uh, whether that mobilized a lot of voters, I don't know, but it mobilized a lot of energy among Trump's base. Uh, Jonathan, let's turn to uh, the best case outcome for Canada's relationship with the United States. Uh, maybe paint a picture for us of either scenario, Trump winning re-election and his relationship, which seems to be fairly steady and solid with Justin Trudeau, or if Joe Biden were to take over. I think that there probably would be a preference uh, for a Biden administration, and I think that that would align with a number of uh, our priorities. And just to kind of give you a, a sampling of what things might look like if, if it is a Biden um, a win in the election. So I think that Biden will take a much different approach when it comes to the value of alliances and partnerships, whether it's in the NATO sphere, whether it's in, uh, in other cooperative uh, uh, bodies. I think that he very much has emphasized the importance of America working with uh, key like-minded democracies. So I think those things, I think, are very important. I think on Trump, you know, again, I think that we have uh, learned uh, to deal with some of the most difficult kind of ups and downs with the Trump administration, most of those being on trade thus far. So, I, 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 again, I don't think that it may be a preferable situation for Canada, but I do think that we're getting used to, uh, as our deputy prime minister mentioned just recently this week, uh, the constant gardening of the U.S.-Canada relationship. So it's, uh, I think we're going to be ready for both uh, scenarios. That was my conversation on Thursday with Jonathan Berkshire Miller, Senior Fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute, and Ronald Shuren, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Connecticut. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Maureen in North York phoned to tell us about scammers pretending to be with Netflix. This one almost got me. It's a scam message from Netflix telling you that they had trouble processing your payment and that your account's Cancelled, sorry to say goodbye. Then they want you to put, renew it and put in all your information again. Of course, then you have your visa number and everything. It's a, it's a, it's a scam. It's not true. With so many people watching Netflix, I mean, it almost got me. Rosie and Guelph phoned to say older people should be extra wary of scammers during the pandemic. I understand there's a lot of people online offering their services for seniors to pick up groceries and no charge. Well, they don't know these seniors, but the, the part of me that's, I guess, skeptical 
thinks that perhaps a lot of lonely, shut-in seniors could be taken advantage of by these strangers, and they should use extreme caution. They will have to give them money at some point, and perhaps some will ask for the money up front. But it just makes me, I don't guess my spidey sense is tingling. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. In fact, there were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Jan in Guelph, who phoned to say now is the time for solidarity, not criticism, when it comes to our political leaders. I do resent the people who are criticizing our leaders who are trying to do their very best. It's their first time around, and uh, they're doing their best. And all I can say to the people who are criticizing them is, uh, I wish you could ask the leaders to step aside and you take their place and hope that nobody criticizes you. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.